Okay. <clears throat> Get my mic in front of me here. So uh, we've got a brewery here in town that's a relatively new brewery and was chatting with them. And I said, it's pretty hard with all this, the social distancing and everything, having a business who's literally based on people having social interactions there. <laughs> uh, but they've got a, they're still doing like a pickup window and people are really supporting them. They went out and uh, bought them out of Crowlers the first <gasps> week. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Is it good? Oh, it's real good. Hmm. That's exciting. I haven't looked to see if our places are open or not. They have a little window where they can slide your crowlers or a growler perfectly fits under it. Oh, really? Uh, yep. So I just got a batch of their blood orange that they just released. <gasps> mm, that's delicious. It's quite tasty. I love. Oh, yeah, that's real good. That's real good. I didn't know the difference between growlers and crowlers. Really? I guess, well, I mean, crowlers weren't really a thing five or ten years ago. Correct. And so I always thought the people that said crowlers just didn't know that they were called growlers. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I really did. And then I was like, oh, I've heard enough people say this now. It's not just one um, misguided soul. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, well... What do you think? Should we talk about some geology? Fine. <laughs> All right. Three, two, one. Ninety percent of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information. But don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Uh, you know, same same place I was last week, man. <laughs> Have, have you left in the last week? I haven't. I had an all-day Saturday Zoom meeting. All day. Oh, that's brutal. <laughs> it's super brutal, but we're so pressed for time on trying to... The community is so pressed for time on trying to figure out online field camp that, yeah, we're working. <laughs> You're starting spending your weekends doing field camp early yes that's exactly right because some field camps i guess start at the first of may and so we've got some very nearly hysterical people which i understand i'm one of them <laughs> um, right yeah and so yes so we worked 20 something of us 20 of us worked all day long on saturday coming up with broad yet encompassing learning objectives so people can use them to start to make and design projects around. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been in a Google Doc with 19 other people editing it, but that's what it was, and it was crazy. <laughs> it was like a Google Doc orgy. <laughs> I, I tell you, they uh, did that at a meeting I was at in Alexandria several years ago for EarthCube. Uh -huh. like anybody can go in and just start throwing out ideas. Yep. And you've got people typing in the middle of other people's sentences. Uh -huh. and, and eventually they're like, okay, okay, we're going to move to a different Google Doc. And everybody just raise your hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. This worked shockingly well. It was really cool. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, it was funny because on um, the next day, so Easter Sunday, there was a two-hour follow-up drop-in meeting. <laughs> because it did get a little overwhelming with all of us. And so it's like we barfed all this stuff out, and everyone was in there furiously editing it. And then 
we ran out of time and they're like nope we're gonna keep to our time come back tomorrow sleep on it and then out popped these amazing like 10 learning outcomes that were just beautiful that we had a you know to our meeting about today so all right uh-huh none <laughs> of these people are the people i work with this is all like community things so it's very interesting to it me is. yeah um it's nice to see everybody come together, but also it's super scary to do field geology online. So, yeah. I can only imagine. I'm sure we're all going to hear tons more about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> As this progresses. <laughs> um, how about you? What are you up to? Well, we actually shut down for a week at, at work. And we shut down for the reason of we're going to take this time to do some serious renovation to our facilities. That's exciting. So you're going to put the water slide in and the pool table? Yeah. No, uh, we, <laughs> we, uh, so we record the podcast early in the week. So today we knocked down my office. Not and the bathroom, so, your actual office, right? Right. The <laughs> office that I spend a little less time in. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, so we, we knocked it down. So now there's just like this little square patch of tile in the middle of the floor in the shop. That's uh, so weird. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're rebuilding it larger so it can seat up to three engineers. <laughs> or two normal people. I don't understand that. <laughs> or mega desk. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. No, so we'll have uh, we'll have three workstations set up in there. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then I'm I'm expanding a little bit. Right now I have a little table that I work on. Mm-hmm. And I really tried that sort of minimalist desk of like I'm gonna have my mm-hmm. monitor, my keyboard, my mouse, and you know whatever I'm working on right now. And no, it just doesn't work. It turns into eight <laughs> inches deep of stuff that I dig through every day. I mean, do you think that drawers are going to solve that? No, but square footages. <laughs> okay. I just wanted and, to make sure you're going in with the right expectations. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason being, like, I do, so I'm programming a circuit board that's got a microcontroller on it. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I bring the circuit board in, and I need a power supply to turn it on, and I need the programming cable for it. And then before I know it, my desk is covered in wires, and then I need the the data sheet so I can figure out what to do. And so I get that document out, and that's, you know, 150 pages of dead tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. before I know it, somebody calls, and I need to be on a conference call with a client because they're having an issue with something or they want to talk about a project. And so I have to very rapidly switch gears and pull out another file and just throw it on top of all that. That sounds like my life every day, John. I don't know why you're complaining. <laughs> yeah, so... The idea with this is I'm going to use a little L-shaped desk and everything, hardware, cables, that sort of stuff. I'm going to have like a little mini bench on one side and then the other side is purely paperwork. Gotcha. Little or big? Um, Medium. Okay. Yeah, it's a medium-sized desk. Uh, I got it at an auction. Oh, okay. So, nice. Uh, it's, it's Han, which is really good office furniture, and I didn't have to pay that much for it, so I'm pretty excited about that. But yeah, so we're uh, hopefully by the time this airs, I will be sitting in the new office uh, because the idea is knock it down on day one, put walls up uh, and start wiring on day two, finish wiring and walls on day three, 
Uh, day four is painting and tile. Mm-hmm. And day five is other shop projects. Oh, my gosh. Painting and tile. Yeah, my two least favorite things to do. <laughs> I know. That's, I know. That's, I keep this list of, you know, house things I could at least try to do while I'm at home because it's impossible to do real work with children. But sometimes I might be able to do housework and all of it is painting. And I'm like, meh, pass. <laughs> Right. So I did get this thing I'm excited about, and I'm, it's going to be on the workbench part of my L desk. Okay. And you remember those Elmo cameras, the document cameras? Remember those? I have a really fancy one that I use all the time in class. Yeah. So this is a little USB webcam on a stand like that. How cute. And so I'm going to use it uh, plugged into my laptop to demo, like, okay, this is how you do this thing with a circuit uh-huh. board or whatever i'm pretty excited about it that's awesome okay i'm surprised you could get a camera have you had it for a while uh no it was ordered way early on during this thing uh yeah so um despite the fact that i have three laptops within my actual reach right now um (laughs) with my son being home and he's getting older we decided that we were going to buy a desktop computer and what better time to do it than now, right? Uh, yeah, but, when no, nothing's in stock. Exactly. But really, because he does need it now. Um, yeah, so it was. it's impossible. I can't find a webcam at all because I was like, oh, well, this is great. I'll just take all my computers back up to work, you know, forget about them. I'll work on that. Yeah, no webcams to be found. Even like the $1,700 ones are sold out. Who is walking around with a $1,700 webcam? influencers I don't know. who buys those yeah it must be <laughs> like I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out i'm like that's insane so uh yeah so we do it's coming i think it's about a week out <laughs> yeah but no webcams to be found so yeah uh but i'm my main plan on this is to use it on the uh arduino class that i'm gonna do Ah, okay. Yeah, that's real good. Which we haven't actually talked about on here much, but... No, maybe you can outline it, and I can ask you all kinds of ridiculous questions. Yeah, so the (laughs) the basic idea is I developed this Arduino Learning Shield that lets you, if you want to start learning how to do stuff with Arduino or microcontrollers and electronics, uh, when you're first learning, I think one of the hardest things is you have to wire up your circuit, which you already don't know what you're doing there. Uh-huh. And then you have to program the little computer to make your circuit do whatever you want, mm-hmm. which you probably don't know C++. Uh-huh. I, so, can, I can hello world it, but yeah, you're right. Right. So you're trying to learn a programming language. You're trying to learn a development environment on how to program the actual microcontroller with your program. Uh-huh. And you're trying to learn electronics and wiring. All at the same time. Super easy, right? Super easy. Um, So what the idea with this is, is it has a variety of sensors and lights and buttons and knobs and all kinds of stuff on a little thing that plugs straight onto an Arduino. Uh So all you have to focus on is learning how to write the programs. Everything's pre-wired. Okay. And then... If you want to expand later, I mean, all you got to do is pull this off and you've got your Arduino ready to go, hook it up to whatever you want. That's exciting. 
but this little learning shield has like uh there's a little buzzer on it that you can play notes on so you can play songs or whatever um there's a light sensor there's a temperature sensor there's a knob there's four buttons there's four different colored leds what does the word learning shield mean well so shield is what we call things that plug onto an arduino oh i had no idea yeah so raspberry pies call them uh hats gotcha. and beagle, beagle bones call them capes oh my goodness uh, but arduino settled on shield uh, okay so to learning shield okay is that to as a counter to the capes or uh well it came first oh never mind okay yeah <laughs> so anyway it's it's a little project that I was planning on rolling out as a free class that you can take in person mm-hmm. where you buy this kit and then we'll spend an hour or two with you and you are know, with you and everybody else that did sign up for this uh, and go over the basics. Mm-hmm. Obviously that's not allowed right now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we decided to try this as an online semi-self-paced course oh really right Hmm. Okay. in that there will be sort of like that class i talked about last week that nuclear engineering class um like i'll put out videos and you know you can do them whenever but the idea is at the end of this course uh everybody does like writes their own program from scratch to do something with this learning shield and we all get on a zoom call and show them off oh that's cool yeah so it's it's not meant to be high pressure uh and really i'm i'm doing it for cost of materials and basically no time recovery Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's going to take quite a while to write all these examples and record the videos and distribute the videos um but I really would like people to have something to do that's constructive during their quarantine. Yeah, I think it's a real great idea. I mean, obviously, I'm going to do it, so that'd be now really it, fun. There are a few challenges. Um, one is figuring out exactly the format and when to start it, and uh, the other is can I actually get all the parts mm-hmm. I need and mm-hmm. get them to the students? Yes. Yeah. Uh so we've got most of the learning shields built, uh, waiting on the Arduinos and waiting on one part for the learning shields still. Well, it's not too bad. So we'll see, uh, but <laughs> I'll put a link in the show notes. You can go to the website uh, and put in your email address and we'll send you an email when we're ready to go. Ah, oh, that's super cool. I love it. Yeah. So that's my little pitch for that. Okay, great. Um, so that's the show for today, right? Cause right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really disappointing how little time I have with how much time I'm at home. You know what I mean? I mean, you don't know what I mean because you're still going to work, but. <laughs> right. But we had, uh, discussed, well, you had sent me a text message and said, what are we going to do for the show? And I had an idea, but we were in the middle of like, I was, had big heavy gloves on. I was in the middle of tearing down a wall. And I was like, uh, well, I didn't respond for a while. And then, and then I was like, well, I'll do something structury. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just, <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. So what structury so, thing are we going to well, do? Well, some shows have quite a lot of planning that go into them. 
And then there are some shows like this that <laughs> we settle on the topic approximately now. Oh, man. Um, I love it. Yeah. This and most of the time I say, you know, these aren't, this isn't, oh, this is not going to be a very good show because we didn't get extensive shows. And half the time they turn out to be really good. I think it's more than half now. It's true. Maybe three years ago it was less than half. <laughs> well, let's see what uh, what you think. What's your prediction when I say the words? Oh, no. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Palinspastic restoration. Yes. Yes. I love this so much. Oh, great. <laughs> I don't think we have enough time. <laughs> that's my prediction. <laughs> I am really excited that that's your reaction, not uh. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, see, no, I'm a teacher now, so I don't have to do it. I just get to assign it. <laughs> You have to grade it, which is worse. Oh, you know, that's all grading's all qualitative in my opinion. Ah, <laughs> oh, did you just die? <laughs> Are you using the throw it off the stairwell method? <laughs> it's not that qualitative. <laughs> I mean, you know what's no, I'm using the um Robert Piercig method of I know what's quality and what isn't. <laughs> there you oh, go. My. Everything's pass fail now. Doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> <laughs> pass fail. What's the difference? Correct. That's correct. <laughs> Throwback to one of our previous shows. Um, uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> palinspastic restoration or section restoration, which is not nearly as fun to say. <laughs> no, is the process of you take this geologic cross section, which is. If you took the earth and cut it with a knife, like a loaf of bread, what would you see in terms of the different layers of rock? Mm -hmm. It is trying to unfold that mess of jumbled, faulted, folded, eroded stuff into what it used to look like. Yeah. And it's not, you know, by eye. It's mathematical. But there's a lot of problems with this stuff, right? Erosion. Non-deposition, faults, faults are terrible. <laughs> um, one that nobody likes to hear, which is compression. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So. <laughs> All the coolest places are compressional. Who cares about extensional tectonics? I'm sorry, Nevada. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, you know, the one place where this works really well. Super well. It's like textbook, literally. <laughs> right. <laughs> but man, you get a good fold and thrust belt and oh, palance fastic restoration is the last thing you want to do. Especially get some duplexes in there. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> and really it is all about how wisely you choose your cross section. Hmm. You mean when you're saying choose your cross section, like your angle of cross section? Yes. Okay. Oh, all right. Why would you ever give anyone a choice of that? I mean, okay. So, yeah, you could choose a cross-section through a basin structure and nothing else. And, yeah, that's really easy. Yeah, yeah. But if you're going to cut across the interesting structures, like you would have to do, uh, you can you can help yourself or hurt yourself. For sure. By, by picking things that are cross-cutting the major features or even having kind of a dog leg in your cross-section line uh, to picking where, where everything's oblique and everything is moving in weird ways. 
Yeah. So basically, if you ever have to do this, you need to plan ahead and never work in an oroclinal belt, which is you know, a bendy mountain range. You never want to do that. <laughs> this is the worst. <laughs> or you there you would have, you know, these weird, not straight line cross sections, which cause all kinds of havoc with doing this. Oh, I love those. Those are my favorite. I'm like, yep, just take that 37 degree turn in there. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, one of the one of the assumptions in many of these techniques is that material does not move into or out of the page, and you just did that. <laughs> oh, ridiculous. Um, and I love a good cross-section where the, the apparent dip that's dipping into the page. Oh, God, it's just the worst. <clears throat> um, so, balance cross-sections. I remember doing this, like, with a ruler <laughs> back Did you ever do the piece of string <gasps> technique? I I was shown not for a grade, but yes, I have done it before in my professional life. Okay, so I think it's fun. It's interesting. <laughs> uh, I think it's of the manual methods one of the best. Oh yeah, absolutely. So what the idea is is like let's take a relatively simple thing here. Of you've got. Uh, several layers that are roughly equal thickness were all deposited and then folded and then there was some erosion that happened okay so you do your cross section and you already geophantasmogram it by saying well i imagine that these layers did this above the ground and then got eroded away mm-hmm. yep. and then you have to preserve when you're unfolding things basically the the length of the contact right Exactly. Yeah. So you lay your little piece of string along the contact and you grab the ends and then you stretch it out straight. And that's how long that section is unfolded. And then you draw it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Done. I don't know why Done. I'm scared of these. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Faults. <laughs> yeah. So faulting causes issues because now you have a sudden offset at an angle of all this. Mm-hmm. And that is not length that you want to count. Correct. So you get to break things apart into little sections. Yeah, terrible. It's like little pins in your string and oh yeah, it's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. This would be, see, I just had this idea, like they're doing all this earth is art and I always wanted to do this earth is art show too. And then you could do that with like little pieces of string and a palinspastic restoration in fiber form. So, Shannon, do you know what a crazy wall is? Uh, is that like uh, detectives and, you know, tying stuff together? Is that what's... Yeah, where they have like all the newspaper clippings yeah, up uh-huh. on the wall and yeah. like yarn between the pins and all that. That was a total guess. Is that correct? That is. Excellent. Um, <laughs> there <laughs> is a whole Tumblr dedicated to crazy walls. <gasps> uh, just so you know. Uh-huh. But... <laughs> Palinspastic restorations can become a geologist crazy wall. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's what I think your your art exhibit would be is yes, but it'd be so much fun. Um, so now I'm on crazywalls.tumblr.com. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I'm gonna be absent the rest of the show. Thank you. 
<laughs> and, uh, you know, credit to Merlin Man on Back to Work for pointing out that Tumblr because I also became very obsessed with it. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I never thought of putting these two together. Uh, I'm just, I brought it. So my students are now working on their project, which is a cross section. And usually I assign them to them and actually hand them the paper copies, right? But my TAs found these really great high-res images. Like I, I think I talked about this last week from Penn State of the um, Valley and Ridge provinces up there in Pennsylvania. And so they're doing those. And they can do them digitally or by hand. But the map they have is digital. Um, and they have to do these awesomely huge cross-sections across them. And, yeah, maybe I'll sit in this crazy wall page is my whole point. <laughs> And they'll get real yeah. upset. Because <laughs> I did not make them palinspastically corrected or whatever. So, Right. So most of the time on a geologic cross-section, the the cross-section you see is the current state of the Earth. Correct. And I'm not making them unfolded. This unfolding is something that you do as a structural geologist or somebody that's doing research into that area. Trying to say, okay, well, what was this like? Mm-hmm. But I mean... Uh, it requires a lot more interpretation than a cross-section, which already requires interpretation. Right. But I definitely ask this question. I ask people to verbally do this. I'm just giving it away now. <laughs> in <laughs> in every final exam that I give. Like, tell me what happened first. Or if you want to, tell me what happened last and go backwards, which is the much easier thing to do, but no one's yet done that. <laughs> Right, and yeah. so when you're doing this balance basket thing, like you have to go youngest to oldest. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, no one. That's really interesting. I, I just thought of that. No one ever, no one ever explains it that way. But it'd be so much easier to do it. I mean, that's sort of like skipping around in the IKEA manual. Like you start at the end and go backwards. Right. Yes, you can't do that. Exactly, exactly. But everyone wants to. This is why I rage. When people write, when I say write the geologic time scale, and they write it with the oldest at the top. Rage. So do you think that people do this in that order? Uh, both put the oldest at the top, and when they try to describe or reconstruct a cross-section, start the oldest, because that's how we tell stories? Um, I think so. I do think so. Because I'm always impressed when students... When they're, um, I'm not impressed because I always say from, you know, start from the bottom up, but also my new mnemonic device is from the bottom up, but some people do it from the top down and I'm always like, that's weird, but it's probably better for geology. Maybe. I don't know. depends on if you want to be a stratigrapher or a structural geologist, I guess. Well, I mean, if you're a stratigrapher, everything starts with the earth cooled and then there was yeah. sediment. Yes, exactly. That's exactly and, right. <laughs> and I feel like that's a really not fun way to start these stories. But if you're a structural geologist, you can say, okay, look around you now. A while back, this was faulted. And then before that, it was squeezed by a tectonic plate collision. Mm-hmm. And then before that, there was a magma intrusion below that thrust everything up. And there was erosion. And like, Yes. Exactly. I think that's a more interesting way to tell a story, but that's because I'm more of a structure person. Mm -hmm. So now tell me this, since, you know, this is a structuralist podcast. (laughs) We had this discussion quite a bit about teaching, and I've had this with many people. How do you teach earth history? 
do you start at the oldest and go forward in time? Or do you start now? Because that's what people are used to and the processes they can see and apply that backward. I mean, normally we start with the oldest. And I mean, when I took my structure final, I started by describing the formation of the stuff that would eventually like I did oldest to youngest right yeah I mean I I think I think it's very interesting because I've seen a couple of earth history syllabi that start with the youngest so it's it's an interesting thought game that I play quite a bit actually but so I can think of one example where we don't tell things in oldest to youngest order in everyday life what introduce yourself my name's shannon right and you are a recovering um no uh hi shannon Uh, oh yeah okay so i'm not like a graduate of claymore high school i'm a professor is this what you're saying exactly Uh, especially like in our job histories yeah always start most recent and then go back if we need to that's true that is true. That's the only example I can think of where we do that where every day. we go day. that, that's a good call. <laughs> that's an absolutely good call. Huh. Yeah, I, I love thinking about time. It's very interesting. <laughs> hmm. But back to this. So how, back to this. You, you start you with the this? young things. Yeah. <laughs> you start with the young things, and you start unoffsetting faults. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, the youngest things you just get rid of. Nobody cares about these quaternary sediments. <gasps> I said it. Ouch. <laughs> Get your dirt off of my rocks. <laughs> Shannon I, said that, not me. So <laughs> I know there's going to be some hate mail about that one. <laughs> All the geomorphologists just left. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it's I love it. It's super interesting, but really, it's just in the way in this case. <laughs> so yeah, you maybe scrape off all that paternary sediment. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, unoffset the youngest faults and then you start doing the string thing right like you're mm-hmm. you're unfolding things uh and then remember you have to go even if it's been eroded you still have to measure that bed length because it used to not be eroded yeah that's where it starts to get hard so like, if you had a fold uh say you had an anticline and then the peak was eroded down and so now you just got a, a flat surface you have to interpolate what that peak looked like Mm. what that hinge line of that anticline looked like which is and then unfold that fine if it's a simple structure but if it's but it's not except on structure 101 tests correct exactly you got some weird folds and that are entire folds that are eroded away on top of that what (laughs) and Mm -hmm. then you can have the weird situations of like something that was folded becomes folded yeah that's why so how do you know how to what order to unfold things and sometimes that gets really interesting paleo mag that'll tell you or does it matter <laughs> uh, does it yeah sometimes i guess not but sometimes it could i guess it depends on if you had faulting in between the folding of the folds right if you didn't then it probably really doesn't matter yeah mm-hmm. um, like, like p mag <laughs> But was there, was it a, was it a fold that was really laid over, or did it go way higher than you thought it did in paleotopography? Mm-hmm. Those can all 
cause issues. And along with having inaccuracies in your cross-section, which you're obviously going to have, we're not yeah. measuring everything perfectly, mm-hmm. and we're not guessing at everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so along with inaccuracies in the actual cross-section that you've got, plus the inaccuracies of guessing about what these folds looked like before they got eroded, that's how you get fun things like voids <laughs> in your cross-section. <laughs> Um, and you can just, if you're a stratigrapher, you can just explain that away by the presence of something that <laughs> got eroded in between those two events, right? Or if you're a structural geologist, you say this didn't work and you start again. <laughs> Which is probably more likely true. <laughs> uh, so voids or extra thickness. Ugh, the worst. <laughs> yep. Uh, if your thing looks like, if you're reconstructed cross-section looks like a deck of cards that got slid over a little bit kind of a simple shear thing mm-hmm. probably not good mm-hmm. uh, so there's that uh, but there are several techniques you can use to do this in a computer as well which i will say is the most common way to do pound spastic restoration yeah we don't do this stuff with rulers by hand anymore really no um there's i mean programs for this period right like programs that do this many yeah, that's what I figured. I've actually never done this with a computer. I have done it with string and a ruler. I, I've seen it done with a computer. I have not done it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes it's for academic purposes. Sometimes it's for resource exploration. Right. Yeah, that's that's where I've done the string before, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and really, I mean, that's where the money comes from to drive the development of these techniques. I'm assuming Move3D is a big one that does this. I believe so, yeah. Okay. And so... There are a lot of programs that do this. The sort of the simple ones and the things that would be analogous to doing the string or the ruler, uh, they, they're they 2D. Mm-hmm. So yes. they follow all of the assumptions that we've got with the string and the ruler, which is material isn't moving into or out of the page. Right. Which is clearly bogus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, welcome to geological modeling. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so there's that there's this idea of um, vertical or inclined shear which I love this because it's to me it is calculus applied to rock yeah okay Mm -hmm. it's like imagine that you had a bunch of faults and they all moved a little bit to create this structure correct Let's take the limit as the number of faults goes to however much processor time you have. (laughs) And you can simulate these deformation processes with all these little offsets and all these little faults. And those are things that we know how to do in a computer really well. Uh, Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. So there's that. Um, You can start doing flexural things by turning that whole model on its side. And saying, instead of having a couple of thick layers, I have a ton of little bitty thin layers, and they can slip between each other. And all this would depend on your rock types, which one you want to choose. Right. And if you're a sedimentologist, you say, well, that's a perfectly valid thing to do because of bedding planes. Yes. But if you're looking at, you know, massive limestone units, deep sea stuff, it's probably not the best thing to do. Right. Now, if you're... I don't know, if you're out in the, the desert southwest, uh, a flexural slip model is probably not bad mm-hmm. in many places. Uh, yeah. 
But then you go where you're getting horse and grabbing structures. It's going to have a really hard time mm-hmm. making horse and grabbing with, flex, with flexural slip. Yes. Yes. That's uh, true. <laughs> a model that's got a lot of faults would, would do a much better job. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there is the tri shear algorithm, which I don't know a lot about, honestly. Yeah. I've never even heard. So, uh, it's, I think it can do a pretty good job at simulating both, really. Okay. Uh, so you have these little triangular zones of slip along faults, uh, uh, and they have heterogeneous shear along each. So I sort of thinking think of it like uh, doing a Delaunay triangulation or something. Gotcha. And I'm sure it's a lot more nuanced than that, but that's the basic, the basic gist of it from mm-hmm. what I can tell. Okay. Yeah. So you're allowing complicated motion on complicated orientations of many fault segments, mm-hmm. which could be bed planes or faults. Or just faults, yeah. Right. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other elephant in the room that I mentioned earlier, but we still haven't talked about, is compaction. Uh, gosh, these sediments are a pain, huh? <laughs> yeah, so you can do things like say, well... Okay, I've restored, I, I've maintained the length of contact, and I have maintained my bed thickness. So I have conserved cross-sectional area, and because no nothing is going into or out of the page, therefore I have conserved volume, hmm. which is a really cute story. <laughs> Except <laughs> as you're as you're burying these sediments, and the lithostatic pressure from all the rock above is increasing. They get squeezed and they get thinner. So now there was a big, uh, at the last GSA meeting that I was at before the world ended, um, there was a big argument about this because we were in, we're in a PMAG diagenesis section. And so these two guys, which was always a pleasure, got into a fight (laughs) Um, of the eight people in the room. Two guys got into a fight about how much, you know, dewatering is actually happening, how much compaction is actually happening in these shales. And um, one of the gentlemen was saying, like, it's not even enough to account for diagenetic changes, which I couldn't fathom that that's not happening. Isn't that interesting, though? Yeah, I mean, I could see in some things, but that seems slightly crazy. Yeah, it does seem crazy. Yeah, I mean, people weren't really taking them super seriously because yeah you're gonna squeeze some stuff out it's gonna happen when you're burying something two kilometers down it's gonna happen when you bury something 100 kilometers down right one kilometer down sorry not 100 <laughs> you mean when soil becomes rock correct <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so come on right like stuff's gonna get squished right yeah. um and one place that this seems just like a blatant, if everybody said, well, you don't have to worry about compaction when you're doing a pound spastic reconstruction, uh, give them a cross section through a subduction zone. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> what happened to this bed? <laughs> right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah. subduction zones are so cool anyway, but they're a really good place to do this because you've got an incoming oceanic plate that's got a bunch of sediment on top of it. 
mm-hmm. all the stuff that's been settling out of the ocean forever while this thing's traveled from the mid-ocean ridge all the way over till it meets a continent. <laughs> yes. And it hits the continent. The denser, colder oceanic plate starts subducting beneath the more buoyant, warm continental crust. And the continental crust just acts like a bulldozer. Yeah. And it starts scraping all of this stuff off that oceanic plate. And when it hits uh, Gyoz, or <laughs> to use one of Shannon's uh, geology ABC words there, but when it hits these seamounts, you know, they can catch and cause things to build up strain and eventually there's an earthquake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but in that process, picture a bulldozer pushing a pile of dirt. Mm-hmm. Like fundamentally what you are doing is creating a bunch of oblique faults. Mm-hmm. That's how that pile of dirt is moving. Yeah, exactly. And it is tapered. You're creating this wedge of sediment in front of it. Think, you know, creationary wedge mm-hmm. or prism. Prism, uh, yes. <laughs> and you're building this wedge of sediment up in front and it has a critical taper angle it's controlled by a lot of things and i've briefly talked about this mm-hmm. before on here uh go read Vernon fisher it's an amazing paper on this uh, but it's something we talk about a lot in structural geology and you just get all of this sediment that's piled up with all of these uh these faults and that's a really cool way a really cool place to do a pound spastic reconstruction but you are getting so much compaction and so many complicated fault movements because the youngest faults are happening way out at the, I guess what we call the hinderland side. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, way out where the plates just barely starting to subduct, uh, and have increased throw on them as they're moving towards the foreland side. Oh, see, that's a rough one too. Trying to, yeah. Yeah. Throw isn't the same across the entire fault. And the throw is continuously changing while other structures are happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, palinspastic restorations can't be done. <laughs> no. I know, but it feels like it when you get stuck in this subduction zone business. <laughs> right. Uh, but it's really not that much different than fold and thrust belts. Yeah, that's true. It's just wetter. It's it's squishier. Yeah. It's it's less rocky, but a little more compaction. Yeah, a little more compaction. Your faults behave a little differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's so much fun. Did you think I was going to be mad about this? I think I was going to hate these things. I didn't know what your reaction was going to be. Uh, <laughs> the thing I really love about them, though, is if you do it well, in the end, you have this topography that looks totally different than what you've got now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is what it used to look like here. Yeah. There was a hill over here, a big one, and it was made out of sandstone, and it's all gone now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It tells the geologic history so well. Like, not just the actual mechanical history, but all of it. It's pretty cool. And I do love that a lot of times on these, uh, the geologist that does this reconstruction marks present-day things. <laughs> yeah. And then moves them around as they go, yeah. So it'll be like, here's the Nevada state line, or you know, here, here's here's where some town is now that we know, uh, you know, it used to be 
on top of the C-mount or yeah, whatever. Exactly. I love it. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> it's so cool. Like, they're so neat to look at. I mean, if you're sadistic, they're fun to do. <laughs> or masochistic. Right. Masochistic. Well, I also just love it. It's sort of you know, like the thing where you're looking at rock and people think you're crazy. You're like, no, this is all deposited, you know, in an, a shallow ocean. And if you're standing where either of us are right now, yeah. people look at you like you're crazy. <laughs> exactly. And you're like, no, no. Oh. We used to be very close to the equator. This continent was upside down from how it is now. And we would be about eh, two, three hundred feet underwater. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I always say, get your lawn chairs. We're going to southern Oklahoma. Everybody's right. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I really got into, not into, but enamored with this when doing my dissertation because we were looking at faults that were laramide aged faults along the front ranges of Colorado but they're laramide aged faults that were likely around during the ancestral Rocky Mountain building events back in the Pennsylvania and those were likely related to shear zones from the Precambrian and so you imagine you know movement on these faults and you have to imagine them you know above your head and these blocks that are moving above your head at the time and all this stuff and it's just it's really cool to think about like what what was there before and you do these pound spastic restorations and you can see those ancient landscapes like the paleo topography or whatever and just like you had just said earlier that's so neat to think about to get a really good feeling for what's happened in that area through time but sadly, they are limited, right? Because we only have so much geologic history preserved. Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, what's the Silurian? There's no Silurian rocks here. It's so weird. Right. Or, you know, you do this reconstruction, and you then you realize, this is what it looked like at one time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in yes. history. Yes, exactly. It's like, mm-hmm. It throws into all the ancient geomorphologies. <laughs> because you can. I mean, every step of this process, like when you do the youngest fault, well, okay, right. that's what it looked like at one time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you do the next one. Okay, this is what it looked like at one time. And then eventually you just run out of rocks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. I, I think this is one of the neatest things in geology to do because even though it's a structural geology problem, it really takes lots more geologic knowledge to be able to do it correctly though i will say if you want to try this because you're stuck at home (laughs) there are so many when i was looking up some material for this show there are so many online labs oh really yes like you can go print out from several universities their structure 101 class section restoration lab oh that's funny so break out your rulers break out some string (laughs) And do a section restoration. Uh, uh, oh, that's great. <clears throat> I mean, hopefully you have all your, uh, hopefully you have all your materials. You don't have to drive up to the office to get them. It's true, you know. Uh, and if you do drive up there, you're gonna want to make sure you don't speed because that's the topic of this week's <laughs> Fun Paper Friday. Yay! I just love the interactive figure on this. It's real cool. So, yes, of course, that's... <laughs> I didn't even read the paper. I just read the figure. No, I'm just kidding. 
So uh, you found this paper. Uh, I got a pretty good chuckle out of it, uh-huh. <laughs> which is the need for speed observational study of physician driving behaviors. Uh, uh, this is so lovely. Uh, so Zimmerman et al. put this together in my favorite uh, last minute go to the BMJ Christmas edition last year. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and you should really go to the actual website because there's a very cool graphic and he's broken down. He's taken, they've taken uh, all the speeding tickets in Florida from 2004 to 2017, which was part of a previously compiled data set (laughs) for what? I don't know. Um, And they looked for people who got speeding tickets of over 20 miles an hour. (laughs) That's crazy. Is yeah, one of so the extreme speeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, then found cross reference this list of people against a the registered um, doctors list, and then in that registered doctors list, it busted them out. So we've got a whole bunch of categories, you know, obstetricians, pediatrics, anesthesiology, cardiologists, radiologists, etc. Right, and <laughs> the results are surprising and not. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> this is a pretty big data set, though. It is. So about 5,300 physicians. Uh, <laughs> and get this number. With those 5,300 physicians, uh, we're looking at statistics for about 14,000 speeding tickets. That's insane. <laughs> uh, though there were some non-physicians in there. Because they had to have a control sample for saying things like, do physicians get more leniency from the police officer? Right. That yeah. type of thing. Um, so the one that I would, so what they've done out statistically, you can play with this fun interactive graphic. Drives fastest, gets most tickets, most extreme driving, uh, drives <laughs> the most luxurious car, or gets off lightly. I love this. Um, so we can discuss what each of those means. But the drive fastest ones... One of their little cars that are speeding along this road says um, emergency room physicians. And I would have assumed that was going to be the one that drives fastest, but not even close. So I think this is like with firefighters. You are used to dealing with emergencies. So you don't have that sense of urgency? No, you still have that sense of urgency, but you have a responsible sense of urgency. Okay. Okay. But orthopedists don't. <laughs> Apparently. Because <laughs> they were the drives fastest group. <laughs> I can't right. imagine the orthopedist that fixed my son when he broke his wrist. I can't imagine him getting excited about anything. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. Some of these are kind of interesting. But so there is your drives fastest. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Closely followed by psychiatrists which will come up numerous times. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> namely, with the uh, percentage of tickets involving extreme speeding. <laughs> Psychiatrists are the clear winner. Oh, yeah, by quite a bit. And so the extreme speeding was the 20 miles an hour over, right? Is that? Right. Yeah, that's, um, that's really and funny. Emergency physicians were pretty far down on that list, maybe fifth or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. 
That's so funny. And this one didn't surprise me at all. So luxury cars, which they include Volvo in this, which I thought, I don't know. I guess some Volvos are luxury cars. Um. The boxy beauty. <laughs> yeah. That's what they call me. Um, <laughs> uh, cardiologists drive the most luxurious cars, which doesn't surprise me at all. Now, I love the graphic for this because the other one's like a little race car. Uh, the cardiologist are the, sorry, the luxury car graphic in the paper. Uh-huh. It's like a stretch limo is the bar on the bar chart. So it just has more and more and more windows and it's longer. <laughs> oh, these are great graphics. They're just great. Yeah, so cardiologist, number one, internal medicine spe- subspecialist, number two, uh, with emergency physician being next to last and yeah. family physician being last. Poor, poor family physicians. <laughs> um, I thought the discounted speeding ticket or the getting off lightly thing was an interesting thing. And they counted that as, I guess in Florida and in lots of places, right, if you're 10 miles an hour over your fine increases. And so they said people that were driving nine miles an hour, they um, interpreted that to mean the policeman was letting them off easy by recording nine miles an hour over, not 10. Right. And (laughs) I love this so much. Um, The least likely to be shown any leniency by a police officer (laughs) is also the psychiatrist. (laughs) <laughs> that's great i mean that's so perfect right because they're the craziest and the most were the obstetricians and gynecologists because obviously they probably do need a sense of urgency <laughs> going to deliver a baby exactly exactly uh, oh. emergency physicians were also up there though ironically or not ironically but oddly uh number two was other yes what does that mean? Uh, I would like to see a breakdown of other because this is a pretty comprehensive list. Yes, I thought so too. I didn't understand the other. Uh, but also like cardiologist was next to last. And I can't help but think that that is tied to the fact that they were number one in luxury cars. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're going to pull over because what is their one of the Lotus is one of their luxury cars. So, yeah, right. like I'm not going to feel bad for some bro driving a Lotus super fast. <laughs> right yeah mm-hmm. exactly that's very interesting it was family visit what is the least luxury car yeah that is family physician and they were only in the middle of yeah they were in the middle of the pack firmly yeah, that's interesting there's got to be some but interesting I, I do think too the ones that are more likely to be widely known what they do were at the top of this list of getting except off? for psychiatrist yeah or not getting off uh, of getting off. So like a general well, yes. internist, like so what that's... does a general internist mm-hmm. do to the common person? Like, Oh, like you don't exactly know, but it must not be that important because you've never heard of it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Not saying that's true. Don't send me the hate mail, <laughs> but could be an explanation for this. That's why I assume family physician would be more likely to get let off as well. Right. Before like surgeon or anesthesiologist, but Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I'd like to see some uh, multivariate analysis on this paper. Yeah, yeah, some ANOVA. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, you know, they said, well, really, people already believe that different medical specialties are deeply associated with personality traits. (laughs) Uh, And how does that match up with 
those personality traits and their deep-rooted beliefs and how people drive. Yeah. Yeah. This is so crazy. I do like that they said, well, this could be just a Florida thing. <laughs> because different states have very different laws. Different physicians could behave differently in different states. That's an interesting one. Like, would this have held up in New York yeah. or California? I'd like to see it done. I thought this was really cool. Yeah. It I mean, I'm like... sure you could tie this in with political and religious and all kinds of yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. It seems like a not a fairly easy, but in the land of big data, it seems like this should be available data with which to do this. Potentially. I mean, this is the one medical paper where you can not have to worry about HIPAA. So true. Yeah. So no, this was a great find, and uh, the graphics were pretty awesome. Yeah, super good. <laughs> but you could download them from in PowerPoint format, just move. <laughs> but I really like clicking on their little interactive graphic with the little cars speeding along the highway. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if you would like to send us your speeding ticket record which we did have some uh, posted in our lab when I was in grad school to ah, different members ah, of the lab. Ah, ah, nice. <laughs> but if you'd like to send us that or your palinspastic recreation, <laughs> we would love to see that. Shannon, how can they get a hold of us? Send us your crazy wall pics at <laughs> show. <laughs> don't, fan, at don't panic geocast.com. Uh, you can tweet those out too. If you want those in the world, uh, we are at don't panic geo. John is at geo underscore Lehman. I'm at Shannon Doolin. Uh, you can find us on the Slack channel. We're on the software underground, the don't panic channel. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters um, for keeping us going. And if you would like to support us, you may do so. Patreon.com slash Don't Panic Geo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.